You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. <laughs> He's been doing that noise before we started recording. <laughs> we have a fun episode for you guys today. I've entitled it on our rundown, Camp Palooza, because that's what the month of June is for USC. Lots of camps. The beginning of PRPs, player-run practices. Shark and I like to view this as the beginning of the end of the offseason. June is kind of when it all starts to s- begin again. I guess, but you know, I, I look at July as another one of my off months, so I don't I don't consider it. July is still a light month, so I don't consider it part. But June is the start of like the players fall entrants arrive you know camps start again we see, we're back we on see, campus a lot you yes, know it's we the do see the, the players but it's the beginning of the end for you i still have my month is june is the end of baseball season so i have a month of freedom because i only have one sport but freedom going. is not like that's always the beginning of it not the end whatever semantics are important shotgun someone I, once said that on this podcast i've heard that before as a reminder you guys can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, google play and megaphone we're now on megaphone so if you want to check out um our podcast have a download link go to megaphone, you megaphone! Also- <laughs> yes you can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com you can also tweet at us and we'll put it on the show. I will answer your questions at the end. Thank you to those who sent them in. Uh, Chuckum, as I mentioned, Camp Palooza is abound. The camps are alive and well. We're kind of at the end of camp season now for USC. There was the 7-on-7 seven seven ter- tournaments. There was one last week. There will be one this week. Rising Stars camp. There's only one this June. And then there were two elite camps this month and a little behind the scenes we're just coming off of the second elite camp the day that we're recording this but shotgun i know you were there for usc's elite camps as a general overview what are your takeaways from elite camp obviously the elite camps are a little bit different because they are the invite only camps so it gives you an opportunity to see who the coaches really want to see who they want to see you know go up against each each other this is you know the origin of the the pete carroll camps were kind of you know the uh, lead into the opening and those type of things because players came to get seen at those camps and to go against the best of the best. That's what you want out of these elite camps. You know, one thing I take away from the elite camps is that USC didn't have quite the same star power as they had maybe a couple years ago. You know, when, when they were juniors and stuff, you had guys like Ethan Ray, uh, Jude Wolf going up against like Julius Irving, the, the DB that's at uh, Washington. They just seemed like there was a little bit more talent, especially with the uh, skill positions there. There were some guys there. But there are also some big names that did not perform. You know the Justin Flows of the world, the DJ Yuang Lele. Uh, you know that are com- the DJ is committed to Clemson. Uh, Justin came to camp today, which is good. Anytime USC can get him on on campus is a good thing. Uh, but you know he was there to see his younger brother John John uh, outperform. Uh, and you know I just don't it didn't have quite the same star power as some of the previous years and maybe that's you know a little bit of, of me longing for the past I don't know uh, but the, there weren't the same you didn't have a Jackson Carmen coming across the country to perform yeah. that you know they you didn't have the, really the big out of town uh, big time visitors and you didn't have some of your local guys participating as much so uh, I think it was a little bit light on the star power however it was it was still good to see the players there USC obviously picking up some commitments we'll talk about that but you know. I think that 
when you get these elite camps, it's just another chance to get people on on campus. And the elite camp is like is built like a practice. You, know, you go through the, the warm ups, you go through the stretching, you go through you know the individual drills. You you do basically all the things that USC does during a practice. There's a lunch break, and then they go and they watch the film. Yeah. Um, and you know they break it down and, and look at how the players performed uh, in the camp. And I think that gives the players a an, an idea of how exactly the coaches are going to coach how they're going to kind of grade you out when you do perform. And I think it's really good for the players to kind of get that idea and see those type of things to, to be able to, to get that better interaction rather than, you know, the Rising Star camp, you know, you might have, there's probably what, five to, to 800 kids at, at each one. There was like more than a thousand this, no. this uh, past week, which is crazy. So they only had one Rising Stars last year. They had two, you know, so you're getting a ton of kids and it's hard, it's harder to stand out. Now, some kids that stood out at the Rising Stars did get invited back to the elite camp. So yeah. you saw a couple of those kids at the Rising Stars. You know, how difficult do you think it is watching and you know knowing how many players there are at the Rising Stars? How how difficult is it to stand out? It's insane. And and Gerard kind of complains about the change over the years because Rising Stars camp used to be the thing. Yeah. You know, that was <clears throat> Pete Carroll branded that well. And the thing about Rising Stars camp is that you get other coaches from other programs to come out and help coach uh, that event. And so that used to be the big name thing, have big name coaches come out as well. And now it's more like, hey, if you have money, kind of come out to this camp and we'll put you in. And so it's thousands of kids. And and I think the easiest example to show how the difference numbers wise, they have to put numbers on kids jerseys or shirts that they give out versus elite camp. They don't put any numbers on there because it's small enough where you can kind of decipher who is who, whereas elite or rising stars is just it's so many people. It's just too much. I prefer when there's uh, numbers. If you could put names on the back, that'd be great. Yes. You know, uh, when you go to the, the opening camps and stuff, the quarterbacks oftentimes will have their n- names on the jerseys. I wish you could do that for every position. It's hard to do because you never know when someone's going to back out late or someone's going to show up the day of. Uh, but it, it's so helpful for us to, to be able to get a better idea. And the coaches as well. Now, I, I think the Rising Stars – you know, it's been an evolution, but I think it's also evolved even from last year when they had the Rising Stars, because like you said, they used to bring in some big name coaches, you know, as an allure, as a satellite camp as well. Well, Florida last year came in and didn't do much coaching, but did a lot of trying to talk to USC, you know, recruits and Southern California recruits on campus at USC because they could. So they came on and, you know, weren't doing as much of the coaching themselves and they were kind of like, it almost the way it was kind of worded to us at one point was that it was almost like they were lurking, you know, and, and you know inviting kids from Southern California to come and talk to them, but not perform in the camp. Um, so you want you want kids to come out and perform. You want to see kids, you know, in, in you know in competition periods. You want to see them in person and, and you know get that idea. That's what's great about it. You get to test them. You know, you get the true height and weight. You get a true, you know, you can run, have them run the forty. You can do a bunch of different things to test and get a better idea. And that's what's great about these camps is that you get them on campus, you get to see them in person. It's not watching a highlight tape. It's not just word of mouth. It's seeing them in person and seeing their competitive spirit. Who's going, you know, who's going over and over and over. LV Bunkley Shelton always stands out to me because the kid is always on the field. He went two ways today. You know, I was filming the receivers today and, you know, I was watching him some. I was, I was like, where, where did LV go? He disappeared. 
And I was like, he keeps disappearing. And then it was like, oh, he's over with the DBs. So that's where he's disappearing to. He's going to do more drills on the other side. Uh, you know, when they got into the one-on-one situation, into the seven-on-seven situations, he was going rep after rep at, on both sides of the ball. You know, with someone, there was one point where they were like, we need a cornerback. He had just played like four or five reps in a row at safety, and he's like, "I got it." Like someone else tried to come on the field, and he shooed him away. Like those are the type of those are the type of things you can't see on a highlight tape. Yeah, you know, you can your coach can tell you, you know, high school coach can be like, "Oh, he's a really hard worker." That's the type of thing that you see in a camp setting. You want to see the guys that are breaking and cutting the line. You know, it's annoying for the other kids, but hey, show some assertiveness, get in the front. Uh, you know, in the in the opening camps and stuff. That's why you, you fall in love with guys like Justin Flo. Justin Flo wants to take every rep he yeah, can. You yep. know, Jordan Patello, the the uh, I think Punaho or St. Louis linebacker that's committed to Notre Dame now, the USC target. He's the same way. Noah Sewell is the same way as and, you know, that linebacker group. You know, they, they just always want to go. They want to. They want to attack. They're hitting guys. They're doing too much. You know, calm it down, calm it down <laughs> type of thing. Those are what you want to see. Not the guys that are, well, you know, there's other guys. You see some offensive linemen. They're just standing in the back. Like, Man, we want to see that guy and see some rep. No, just, just chilling out in the back, not really doing anything. And I think the elite camps – Give you that opportunity because yeah. I'm talking more about like the opening camps or the rising stars. Where there's a ton of people where you have to be more assertive to get those reps. At the right elite camps, there, there's less people. There's more opportunities there, and it gives a chance for the coaches to say, "Hey, we want to see you in there," and push somebody in there and say, yeah. "Hey, I want to see you against this guy." And you'll see the coaches sometimes say, "No, no, no, uh, I need LV right here. I want to see LV going against Jalen Davies or Damani Jackson. I want to see both. You know, I want to see those m- matchups." Now, that's there were some some big matchups. Some of the underclassmen that those modern day. Bosco matchups are yeah. always great at this camp because there's so many of those kids on both sides. Um, but you know, those are the things that kind of stood out. Was who who's going more? Those are things I look for more in these camps. Who's performing well, but who's going more and is more active? And the elite camp gives you the opportunity to to see that a little bit more too. I think it's a big truth teller as well because usually in camps there's so many guys that you get maybe two, three quality reps. Elite camp when it's a short amount of guys in your position group, you're going a lot. I was with the O-line and D-line uh, for both elite camps, and you can tell easily who are the guys who are doing their off-season workouts, who are, who's kind of out of shape, you know, <laughs> who's lingering more at the water table and Drevno has to, like, call their name over to get back into line, you know? So that's something. And when you were mentioning the guys who are just going at it and, and, and getting back in line, Trayshawn Holden was someone who came to my mind. You know, the Alabama commit four-star wide receiver doesn't really have to be out there. He tweaked his ankle, came back in, uh, played hard in that first elite camp so you can kind of see especially when it's a setting like a Trojan practice who are the guys who fit well who are the guys who are going hard it's it's elite camps a really interesting thing to see these prospects kind of fit in a trial of hey you're a D1 player hey you're a, a Trojan do you fit in this environment it's kind of interesting yeah, and you know they're on campus, so they get to do the whole campus tour if they want to. Their parents are there, so they can check things out. The parents get to see what you know the coaching style of the coaches, which is something you don't really get. You know, parents come on an official visit, and they may see something. Yeah. You know, maybe they stop by for you know an unofficial visit. You know, it's but it's harder to see that. I think this gives them an opportunity to see. Okay, how's my baby going to be treated? My when, baby. When my baby gets to campus, uh, you know, you see that type of type of thing. Uh, you just it's it's a different 
environment than you see in a lot of the other settings. Even like the seven on seven camp is not quite the same because coaches aren't coaching them up. Coaches yeah. are coaching up the elite camp much more than the rising stars, much more than any of the other camps. Yeah, not only that, but you have grad assistants and you have current USC players coaching as well. So you can get that connection. It was interesting with Bryce Young there. It was almost like he was already on campus talking to some of the current <laughs> USC players. You know, it has a weird familiarity. But as far as you know, the names that come to this these elite camps, that's why it's so important for USC to win and to win well is because you get to see when USC has that brand name, a strong brand name established, that's when you get those good guys coming out there. And a, a thing like the elite camp is kind of a second official visit, if you will, because it's getting those guys on campus. It's getting them an experience, a USC experience, and it's beneficial both ways for those guys, but especially for USC if they can get those guys out there. And if you're if you're... If you're performing really well, there's much more competition for the spots that you have. Alex Leatherwood came to compete at the camp from Florida. You know, he ends up committing to Alabama later. You know, Jackson Carmen, you know, those type of players that are coming across the country that end up with Clemson and Alabama. You know, but when you're winning and you're coming off a Rose Bowl win, it's easier to say, hey, come, you know, we want to see you in person. We really like you. You're our number one guy. You're one of our top guys type of thing. But we need to see you in person. Whereas, you know, if USC's coming off a five and seven season, if I'm a five star, you know, lineman in Georgia or something, it's like, why do I want to come out there and compete for you? You know, it, it so you have that built in competition period that you need to bring the best players to, but it's harder to bring the best players if you're not winning. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's what I was trying to articulate as well. And the thing about Lee Camp, and you mentioned this already, and I'm going to segue, is that you can see which guys the position coaches are kind of eyeing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, Very good point. and they, uh, like you said, they're, they make them do a little bit more reps or they individual you know, coaching, individual coaching, more hands-on placing certain one-on-one battles just to see how they fit. And that was what I saw specifically with two of the commitments that USC picked up uh, after the first league camp, Joey Wright and Kyle Jurgens. both of those guys um, I saw Drevno really paying attention to giving them extra reps, more hands-on and kind of, there was a difference between camp coaching and, hey, you're a prospective athlete and I kind of want you on my line coaching. And you can kind of see that with both of them. Uh, so Joey Wright, 2023 star offensive tackle. He's 6'6", 297 pounds. He interestingly committed at 1217 a.m. Uh, and then Kyle Jurgens is a on a tw- Saturday night on a Saturday night slash Sunday morning. Right? I was wondering, or I was like, Friday, Saturday. what if he has tweet deck and he like accidentally put, put like scheduled the tweet, but like <laughs> that would make a lot more sense. I think. PM? I think it would make more sense, but I, yeah, I was up and I was like, really? What? So, or yeah. he's just at a house party and he's like, you know what guys, I'm going to commit right now. It's time for a commitment. <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> Sounds like a good house party story to me. Sure. So, okay. Other commit, Kyle Jurgens, the 2020 three-star offensive defensive lineman. Gerard said they're kind of using his commitment as a defensive line commit, which is interesting. He's not sure how that pans out. Uh, six four and a half, two forty one, and uh, he came over halfway through the first league camp. He originally was with the defensive line for half of the camp. Came over with the O line. Got a lot of instruction from. Tim Drevno, he started out on the offensive line for one-on-ones and then switched to the D-line. He's solid outing for him. I thought he was one of those guys that you kind of, okay, maybe I should pay more attention to him, film him more. Um, and then just so we get 
through all of the commitments. USC got a third commitment from Veltre Jefferson, a 2021 three-star wide receiver, 6'4", 195. Um, but Shotgun, let's go into the O-line, a position of need for USC. What did you take away from the commitments of Joey Wright and Kyle Jurgens? Uh, what what does USC get with those two guys? I mean, Joey Wright is, is a big body. You know, he stood out when I saw him at the Oakland uh, Regional, uh, the opening. He was up there. He, yeah, I didn't know who he was. Didn't know who he was, but I was like, "This, who's this dude? This is a big dude. Uh, he's from Nevada. You know, he's going to come in. He he's fits the body type that it seems like they're looking like looking for in, in offensive linemen. There, you know, he's got the you know big wingspan, tall guy, kind of light on the frame. You know, he's not overweight. He's not, he's not a big heavy offensive lineman like USC's taken in the past with you know guys like Damian Mama or, or Vianney Talamavio. You know, those are bigger, heavier guys. These are this is a taller, long wingspan. I think that that fits into the offensive system that they're running with the air raid. You know, I think you're seeing USC start to recruit for the system. And, you know, I see Joey Wright fits into that. Kyle Jurgens is kind of a question mark. I think he's a defensive lineman just because he doesn't have the same height. I mean, six four and a half. Don't take anything away. That's not short. Uh, but, you know, it's not the six 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 eight that you, you see that they're, that they've been offering on the offensive line. So I think he ends up on the defensive line for USC. As far as Velche Jefferson, that was an interesting, if you read the war room, that was an interesting kind of situation with him. The dispute, USC's coaches weren't really sure about that commitment versus Veltre announcing that he had committed. What do you take away from that whole situation? That offers are, as Gerard Martinez says, roses on a first date, you know, flowers on a first date. Roses if you're really nice. (laughs) Um, But that every offer is not necessarily committable at that moment. Especially he's a younger guy. Uh, I think he's a 2021. Yeah. So, you know, that tells you that they're in a wait and see Period. They're like we really like you, we're going to offer you. Oh, you want to commit? Well, let's let's hold back on that just a second. We want to see how you develop over the next year. Basically, uh, I think is what that kind of tells you. Um, you know, Veltre Jefferson was a guy that we didn't know who he was. Again, similar to Joey Wright for me at the Oakland camp, but didn't know who he was when he showed up on campus. We're just like that, that. That looks like a dude. And then you see him start performing, and you're like, that is a dude. Uh, and then you find out his name later and you find out that he commits later. So, you know, but he's a guy that, that kind of popped up out of nowhere. He's a NorCal kid. Uh, you know, his, his older brother was, you know, a, a very talented athlete, but had trouble off the field. Um, so he's the complete opposite as far as off the field, you know, from every in, uh, indication that we've heard and seen. Um, he's a guy that came out and, and impressed in the elite camp. And that's how you earn an offer is you go out and you, and you do well against the other guys that have been, been invited to the camp. Now, if you listen to what I introduced all three, I said they were all three stars. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And on USC Twitter... And the USC fans, three star is an offensive term in their mind. <laughs> what do you take away from USC getting commitments from three stars? Is it as offensive to you as it is to USC fans? No, if they fit the system. You know, I think the, the offensive lineman they're looking for, I don't think that they're going to be a ton of, you know, 6'6, 6'8, 240 pound offensive lineman that are rated five stars. That's just, that's not the case. That's not how it is. That's why there are so many linemen that go into the draft and especially this past year that were lower rated guys because they were smaller didn't know if they could put the weight on didn't know if they could stay athletic that type of thing where I think USC is going to find guys that are in that fit their offense and that's what you have to do I mean it's not that you have to you know look over the five-star guys but the especially the offensive line class they need offensive linemen 
the offensive line class in the West is much thinner this year than it has been uh, you know, last year or the year before that. So they have to do a better job at, at identifying talent that's going to fit into their system rather than just going, that's a local four-star guy, we got to go get him. You know, it's a local five star. Well, he doesn't really fit. You know, he's more of an interior guy. He doesn't move as well. No, they're going to find big athletic guys that move. You know, and if they have to teach him up on some other things, that's fine. And if they have to bulk him up, that's fine. And that's kind of the way they're going in that direction. That they're three stars now doesn't mean that they won't be four stars later. You know, it's hard for a guy to be a three star now and be a five star later, but they can still easily work their way up to, to four-star status. So I don't freak out about it, especially because it's, it's pretty far away from the final, um, you know, final classifications and final rankings. So I, it's not a big deal to me. The question, though, is the other guys you're targeting that are four- and five-stars, are you going to be able to get them to commit? You know, there's a big five-star guy on campus, you know, currently, recently. Uh, depending on when this gets actually posted. Uh, but B. John Robinson, the five-star running back, is taking an official visit to USC. That is a huge guy for USC. You get him in, I don't think anybody talks about three stars anymore because that's a big-time guy that you're battling with also the team across the, across the city for as well. Um, so I think that he's a you know, high-priority recruit. I don't think it's, it's – there's not a ton of guys that have been high-priority recruits currently that USC is missing out on I think that's a much bigger deal than the guys you're getting being three stars or, or four stars I don't think it it's, it's not as huge of a deal because they fit into the system that USC is trying to run do you think USC fans are a little presumptuous expecting four and five stars to commit right away or be offered or have interest in USC given that they're coming off of a five and seven season yes now I think what the issue that the fans have is Back in my day, we weren't five and seven, and therefore we weren't getting three star recruits. We were getting four and five star, but that, that's not the situation currently. The situation currently is you're coming off a five and seven season, so therefore it's going to be more difficult to recruit because kids want to see that you know they they're in it for a lot of four and five star guys, especially locally. But those kids are looking at it and going, "Okay, I like USC. I would want to go to USC, but I need to see what happens." Because there's a lot of you know a lot of stuff that's in the air as far as hey Clay Helton's on the on the hot seat obviously so what happens if USC loses a couple games is he out well I liked Clay Helton so now do I need to look somewhere else? so why would you commit now when you know that there could be changes at USC I think it's I think a lot of recruits are taking a wait and see uh, approach with that are interested in USC but they're like well let me let me just you know, play this out, let this play out, and if I want to go to commit to USC, I can still do it at a later time. I don't think anyone's rushing to commit to USC right now. Yeah, I think that's the smart move to, to wait and see. And like we always say, winning cures all. So I think if USC suddenly goes 12-0, and it's a different recruiting class than right now currently in the gray area of coming off of a 5-7 and seven season and having a new offensive coordinator. Yeah, I think what I think what people want to see. Well, how does the air raid work at USC with their athletes, and yeah. how, how does it work with Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's versus what I've seen from North Texas or Texas Tech or Washington State? Let me see how you know. And if you're a four or five star guy, you're like, well, let me see how I fit in. You know, if am I the Michael Crabtree type, or do I, you know do I need to be a smaller guy? Can it, can a big athlete can that st- can they still play in the air raid off? I want to see how it works for a couple games before I you know start looking deeper into USC. I think. Which makes sense if that is their thought process. Um, before we move on to PRPs, player run practices, any other thoughts about USC's camps or commitments? Yeah, another guy that stood out, you know, that, that I wanted to point out was Caleb McCullough, the yep. linebacker uh, from Oxnard Pacifica. He was all over the place. 
You know, he was he was one of those linebackers, like I talked about with the other guys that, that we saw at the Nike camps and stuff. They were running people over. They were trying to take every rep. That was Caleb McCullough at this camp. That was a guy that stood out the first one. Um, I'm trying to look and see, just scanning through my pictures and stuff to see if, I, if anybody else stood out. I mean, Bryce Young being at the first camp is obviously a big thing because you get to see the routes that are run from your potential future quarterback with Trayshawn Holden or you know Veltre Jefferson or some of those other recruits that are there you know at the wide receiver or tight end position you want to see how they react to the ball coming off of Bryce Young's hand and him talking to the players it gives you just that much more opportunity um, for him to talk to them to him to get their number for him to recruit them as well because the quarterbacks always become big recruiters in the class so I think it was really big to have him on campus and have him you know going through the drills and you know talking to everyone else you know I think there was a couple 2021 quarterbacks there today I mean Miller Moss is my guy I saw him last year at the Rising Stars camp and I was like who is this curly-haired kid you know, with the, with the mop top, just he's throwing dimes over here. I, was like, I didn't know who he was, had no clue, but the ball spun off his hand. He was at camp today. You know, he picked up an offer from USC, so uh, congratulations to him on that. But I think he's a guy that the USC is looking at seriously for that 2021 class. You know, which quarterback they're going to take there. There's a couple other local kids, you know, but he's a guy that I would look at, you know, he would be in contention for me at least. So having him on campus again, so that's the second year in a row he's been on campus, you know, is, is a big thing. He didn't know – I don't know if he – if I remember correctly, he told me he didn't know if he was going to camp at USC this year, but to have him back at the league camp, he gets that offer. They get to see him one more time. Um, you know, So I, I think they had some quality local talent on campus this year. I don't want to undersell that, but I think in the previous years they've had better out-of-state uh, um, talent, and I think that's the 5-7. and seven. It's much harder to attract people to come and visit your camp after you go 5-7. and seven. Yeah, without a doubt. And as far as Bryce Young goes, just to further your point about it's important. I mean, I think he gets it as far as, you know, being that recruiter for this class. That's why he committed early to the 2020 class to begin with. He knows that people are going to come if there's a solid, a solid quarterback in a class. And someone to watch out for who he's definitely in his ear is Trayshawn Holden, the Alabama commit I mentioned. So much so that if you didn't catch my interview with Bryce Young um, at a 7-on-7 tournament a couple weeks ago, he brought Trayshawn into the interview when I asked uh, Bryce, oh, who are you Who are you scouting? Who are you recruiting for this class? He literally <laughs> pulled in Trayshawn Holden and was like, hey, uh, so you want to come to USC right now? Trayshawn like, bolted <laughs> out of the interview. So just watch for that. The fact that Trayshawn was on campus uh, and at Elite Camp, something to watch for, for sure. 7-on-7 teammates. Mm-hmm. Yep, premium. So if you want to see any footage of Joey Wright, Kyle Jorgens, and Veltre Jefferson, the three commits out of those camps, uh, go on uscfootball.com. We have ISO highlights of all three of them. So if you want to check them out for yourself, be sure to do that. But moving on to USC's PRPs, they've started the player run practices. They do it after strength and conditioning with Aaron Osmus. They've had three so far. Shotgun, what have you seen? Uh, what can you see from player run practices and what have you seen so far? You know, listening to the players when they come out, we're not allowed to talk to them, we're not allowed to interview them, but listening to their comments when they are leaving the field uh, has been kind of telling. You know, from Jordan Isefa saying there was the, the toughest workout he's had, you know, that, that he, what did he say, he, he's died? He was like, I've never died so hard. <laughs> he was like, I died so many times, I've never died so hard. <laughs> yeah, so listening to, you know, players talk about how difficult the workouts are, I think is an, is telling you know that they're being pushed really hard this offseason and I think it's necessary because you go five and seven but also Aaron Osmus he's come in he's putting his stamp on things you're seeing some of the players I know there's always the conversation that well who looks bigger who doesn't look bigger who this guy's not putting on enough weight but 
when you hear the players talking about it, that's much more telling than to me because maybe you're not working on the you know the pecs or you're not working on the biceps but are you working on the quads are you working on the hamstrings are you going to be tougher in the trenches those type things those are much more important and i know some people are commenting on you know the photos that i posted i'll have some more up in the next 24 hours uh and maybe up before this goes up but that well these guys look small they don't look like they're gaining anything Trust me, the way that they're talking about it tells me that they are being worked hard. And if you're not seeing the muscle mass, that doesn't mean that they are not being worked out hard. They're not gaining strength. You know, not not all strength is visible. Yeah, I would say the way that they're talking about it this year is not in a fake machismo way. It's not like, oh, we're working so hard. It's like, a, <laughs> we're dead. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's an exhaustion <laughs> talking about it, which I think is what you want versus kind of like, yeah, we're going to talk a big game, but not really see it. Granted, does this translate to play and to actually on the field is TBD. True. But so far from what we've heard, it sounds like Aaron Osmus is, is doing some work. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, something else that really stood out to me, something really, really stood out was Justin Dietrich's mustache. It's a good stash. That's a that's a furry caterpillar he's got there rocking. Uh, Jude Wolf just had one as well, but you know you know the players are buying. You know you're seeing things like like that. It's a small thing, but summer stashes that they're having, and it's a small thing. And you know they, they talked about it on Twitter. Uh, you know why they're doing it when I, after I posted a picture of Justin Dietrich and they're encouraging their teammates to do it. But that's the it's the small things like that that. You're getting multiple guys doing because it's fun because the, because you have that group camaraderie that you know sometimes was missing last year. So I think that you're seeing that this team seems to be moving in the right direction. I know it's hard to be positive after a five and seven season, but mm-hmm. there are some positive signs that we've seen this off season from this group. I think Aaron Osmus also brings a different type of intensity. I think change is always good, and I think changing from Ivan Lewis is going to be different. It's interesting, even in the elite camp, there was one kid at the back of the line who kind of loafed a, 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 a like a stretching drill, and he made him stop and do it and like yelled at him in front of like 150 kids. And I was like, Aaron doesn't care. He's going to call you out. So just the example of elite camp and how that transfers over maybe to USC's workouts is interesting. There, we've seen just from the stretching and the things that, they, that the strength team does with the, the kids at the camps, that there is an attention to detail that yep. might not have been there before. Like there's, why is your toe over the line type of thing? Like, no, get behind the line. Don't You're not supposed to be on the line. Get behind it. It's the small things. Now, hey, in the grand scheme of things, what does it matter if your toe's on the line or not when you're stretching? It doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. It does not change one thing. You're not going to suddenly pull a hamstring because your toe was touching the line. However, it's the small focus on details that USC has struggled with. You know, that's where you get the penalties. Those are the things that, that focus on details. Those are when you, you, you get a holding call in a big situation. Focus on details. And it starts, we've said it before, the culture of a team. You know, it's a, I talked with a coach recently. He's like, the buzzword that everybody wants to hear, you get a new coach in, doesn't matter if it's position coach, head coach, we're going to change the culture. We're going to change the culture of this position. We're going to change every, culture, 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 culture. It's a big buzzword. But with the football team, it starts with strength and conditioning. And change, change comes from the players, but change comes from doing something different. And I think that their focus on details is is something that will translate at a later date. You know, it's not going to translate in the summer. Are we going to know whether a guy is lifting five more pounds because of a small detail? No. But you will see that in the way they play eventually. You know, it's something that will eventually translate if you focus on details and you stay focused on details. As far as focusing on details, like you said, the summer stashes – 
you know, just the change of Aaron Osmus. Do you think that will unite the team more so than, you know, Porter Gustin didn't want us to really think about it. And I mentioned this on the Dan pod, but there was kind of factions in strength and conditioning prior to Aaron Osmus under Ivan Lewis, where, you know, Porter had his disciples and whatnot. Does having a new head of strength and conditioning help break up those clicks, if you will? I definitely think so. Now, it depends on their approach to it. You know, if you let guys go off and do their own thing or, you know, everyone has to do the same thing or your position, you know, you're lifting by position, you're lifting by, you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. But I think you can definitely, if there are those things and you think that's a negative, you can break those up by, you know, with a new coach. A new coach could definitely do that. And has that happened? I'm not necessarily certain. You see the same players walk out with the same players as before. It's not like suddenly – you know, someone's now they just met their teammate for the first time. Now, hey, we're good buddies now. We just Isaac Taylor Stewart and Caleb Tremblay are still friends. It seems like a weird pair, but yeah, they're still guys that, that you know chat when they come out. You know, Justin Dedich is with, with Brett Nealon all the time. Your position guys, you, those things are still going on. It's not like suddenly you met someone new on the team, but you're seeing that it just seems like there's a little bit more camaraderie with the group and you know from the the small things and it, we won't really know until we get to talk to them a little bit more in July um, and kind of pick their brains a little bit and then we'll find out maybe you'll see exactly what's different about these these workouts and what's not what's different about this group is it going to be different I mean Cameron Smith and, and Port Augustine told us everything we wanted to hear uh, everything fans wanted to hear going into last season but when the chips went down and Port Augustine went down, that defense was not the same. And, you know, Cameron Smith's comments at the end of the season told you that, you know, he was frustrated by the fact that he couldn't get everybody on the same page. Uh, so it takes the coaches, it takes the strength coach. It's, it's 105 people plus 25 coaching staff members. There's 140 people, 130 people somewhere in there that have to go in and have the same direction. That's hard to do. Yeah. That takes a good head coach to put everyone in and have everyone going in the same direction. It's difficult to do, but we'll see how much has changed now with the changes that USC has made in the offseason. In July, I think we'll have a much better idea because we'll get to talk to players and kind of pick their brains. Indeed. So right now in June, our hands are kind of tied a little bit. We can't talk to players. We're not allowed to film or take photos of anything that's happening on Howard Jones Field. If something does happen on Cromwell Field, we can, but so far Cromwell Field has been locked. So we've had to be creative as how we see what's happening on Howard Jones Field. As far as players going in and out... We did see new faces, fall entrants, as well as Brie McCoy and Chris Steele. Now, Brie McCoy hasn't been to a PRP yet, but we did see Chris Steele there. What have you seen from the new faces, Shotgun? I mean, we've seen pretty much everyone except for Dorian Hewitt that we expect to see on campus. Uh, you know, We'll expect him to be with the team later, I think. Um, you know, you're seeing all the young guys get taught up by the, the older players. You, know, you see that every single year, but you know, you, you're seeing the players – the young guys kind of find their find their footing with the group and and find out where that the you know they're supposed to be and, and kind of see how they're kind of adjusting to the period. It's always an adjustment period in summer. I think it's great when players can get in early, you know, especially if they get in for the first semester, the spring semester. But if you get in in the first session of of summer camp as well, I mean summer school as well, I think is is a is a bonus just because you get used to the classes, you get used to the workouts, you get all those things down before you get into fall fall camp and stuff, and get get going and ramp it all up going into the season. Ramp it all up as far as play and uh, individual drills, stuff like that, position group drills. What have you seen, or what can you see from that? 
Not much. I mean, I mean, you, seeing guys like like Chris Steele took some first team reps the other day. You know, seeing Drake London out there, but seeing Kyle Ford and Ethan Ray doing stuff. Max Williams. The fact that those guys are you know coming back and able to do some stuff. I don't think they'll be cleared. You know, hundred percent as of now to you know for full contact or anything. But the, the fact that they're able to do some of the the seven on seven and team stuff is is a big note because those guys were kind of expected, at least in, in my mind, that they weren't going to be able to participate this year. But now I'm I'm kind of questioning that. You know, Max Williams, you know, it looks like he's going to be he's hoping to be cleared going into fall camp. We'll see if it happens. But you know, he's put in a ton of work and he's just it just feels like he's been ahead of schedule every step along the way. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've learned anything about the quarterbacks necessarily. Keaton Slovis just seems to be a part of the group. You know, it, it, he doesn't stand out in any way, you know, negative or positive, which I think is a positive for him as, as a first-year guy. Yeah, I think everybody's just kind of fitting in. So it's not a negative or positive that he doesn't stand out, but it's a positive that he doesn't stand out. That he doesn't stand out isn't negative. He doesn't stand out in a negative or positive way. Okay. Which I think is a positive. <laughs> just, He's just a part of the group. Just, just circling back on that. <laughs> um, but as far as injuries uh, – I talked to Kyle Ford at a throwing tournament, I think a month ago, and he's kind of set to go. He wants to go. Mentally, he's there. and Physically, not so much. He said his knee is totally fine. It's just working on that quad strength. And he said, like, really all I can do is work out. So he's worked out a lot. He's bulked up. Um, so that's something to watch for there. As far as quarterbacks, we didn't see Matt Fink there on Tuesday. And he posted on his Instagram, he kind of had a mini surgery it looked like surgery type something on his knee but he posted that he will be ready for fall camp so that's an interesting development there i'm not sure it, that sounds like i didn't see this post but that sounds a little bit like yeah, a scope or something some minor procedure there uh it was interesting that jt daniels coming out uh, introduced kyle ford as his new tight end <laughs> and kyle ford was not having it at all but he's like yeah you see my new tight end here and no he was kyle ford was uh, no no not tight end. Not another tight end. guy too uh solomon tuyala poopoo Still not in cleats, and we're rounding a year now. Concerning at all at this point that that keeps lingering for him? Yes, I mean, definitely. And I've said this many times, but you can't consider him a guy that's in the competition for any spot until he practices for two weeks. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. We want to see it. We want to see he's got that big, bright smile. I want to see him hit somebody and have that big, bright smile during a game, but. You know, until he gets you know a couple weeks of practices in in a row, then you know I, I just don't think that you can count on him as a guy that's going to be in the rotation at all. Yeah, as far as positive injury news, we did see Tano Hufunga doing some yeah. rehab work, uh, hitting a bag. That's something we kind of had heard that maybe the second surgery didn't go as well as the first, but to see him out there rehabbing is a positive sign. Yeah, I don't know who told you all that because he looks he looks great out there. He's he's in the middle of the mix. Him and Isaiah Polamau are you know taking first team reps. You know, I think he's a guy that expects to be back and, you know, that will be healthy. You know, you saw C.J. Pollard was back from his ankle injury. Um, I think there was one other guy that, that had missed the spring, but it was back. Uh, seeing Bernard Shermer back, you know, he missed a lot of time in the in the spring as well. Having him back, Clayton Bradley was at last week's practice. You know, those guys that missed all the time, that's huge to add depth to that. We've seen Drew Richmond around campus. He hasn't participated in the, the PRPs yet, but you know, just adding that extra depth and the quality depth to the offensive line, I think, is going to be huge because we've said it. There was no competition in the spring with the offensive line, so I think just adding some extra quality bodies could really push that group to another level. Yeah, and Drew Richmond is a big body. He, I was watching him stand next to Brett Nealon. He's a he's a solid size, so that always helps on your own line. 
Um, any before we go to questions, any final thoughts on PRPs? You know, I, I wish that we could see and you know record and film more. Yeah. Uh, just because I know the players love to see it, but to get you guys and to see what's going on right now, but unfortunately, that's that's not the case. It's a no no. It's a no no. Alrighty, let's go to questions. This is from Richard from Husky Country. It's kind of a throwback question, but just in case people don't fully understand, uh, he says, Hi, Keely and Shotgun. Great to see an uptick in positive chatter around USC. I had a question regarding the potential transfer of Steele, Chris Steele. He is now enrolled, so that happened. And the initial counter limit. Since there were early enrollees this year, are they called green shirts? They are not. Could some of them count for last year's counter? I believe there were only 81 scholarship players on the roster in 2018 and only 17 signees plus one blue shirt from 2017. So shouldn't there be room to count at least one of the spring enrollees for the 2018 counter to make room for Steele? Or is there another way that USC can make room for him? Thanks for all the great work and fight on Richard from Husky Country. So we'll answer what actually did happen was that there were a couple players that were not academically eligible for at USC, so therefore are not going to be a part of this class at this moment. You know, maybe they go and get their grades up elsewhere and then join later. But as of right now, I mentioned that Dorian Hewitt's the only guy that has not arrived that we expect to arrive. So if you zoom through all the the photos we posted of freshmen, you could see that there's two guys missing or and or three guys missing with Dorian Hewitt and figure out who the other one are. Um, also, you can read the War Room. Subscribe to USCFootball.com. You can do that as well. Uh, the you can now to, to back to this question in a general sense you can count things back if for early enrollees I believe USC was had already counted as many as they could um, you know it's, it's it's more it's not the eighty one counter then it's the it's the initial counters is where the issue becomes then so it didn't matter that USC had eighty one scholarship players last year it mattered that they had already used their twenty five initial counters last year so that's why they couldn't count any of them back in this group. So we have a question from Gustavo. He says, do you think USC has been more active in recruiting this offseason? I feel like I've seen more offers than ever in early commitments for 2020 and 2021. I think when you change your coaching staff, new coaches are going to come in and hit the ground running. And I think they have done that. Now, do you want to say that overall there's more recruiting? That's up for you to interpret. Uh, I think USC even has more people on the recruiting staff right now. Maybe I'm, that might be even, but I believe they're one plus plus one on people on the staff. Take that as you will, the whether they're doing more recruiting. But I think that you, when you bring new coaches in, they want to prove themselves. That means prove themselves on the recruiting trail as well. And I think you saw Greg Burns go out and do a really good job. You know, when he came in and, and hitting the ground running and, and bringing in a ton of DBs in that group. I think Mike Jinks is, is really recruiting hard on the running back group. Uh, you know, you've seen Chad K getting Kyle Jurgens to, to commit. You know, I think that those new coaches have been really active. I think also adding a guy like Chris Hawkins to the staff as a uh, graduate assistant. He's a guy that has connections with the ground zero. He's, he's coached up a lot of those players on there, so that does not hurt. Never ha- Having connections is never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. Uh, so I think that adding him, having Michael Hutchins, you know, some former players, Vianney Talamavayo is a guy that you know, has a lot of – Offense alignment seem to are be responding too well, you know, when you, you see them out on the camps, uh, and then also just talking to some of them. Uh, so I, I think that those guys that they've added have added value as well in the recruiting area in particular uh, to go along with the new guys that have come in on the official staff. Yeah, and I, 
I don't know you, Gustavo, but maybe also you're a little bit of a prisoner of the moment just because June is camp month and that's kind of when you see more offers come out. Um, Definitely. Just, just today, I think three offers have gone down already, four offers. They're rolling in. And so sometimes you see a lot of that happening fast after a camp day and then you can kind of be like, wow, so many offers are coming out. But it's kind of a product of, of camps. Of seeing the players in, in person and saying, okay, we really do like that guy. We've yeah. liked his film. We wanted to see him in person. Now we know. Let's offer him. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the coaches and so this kind of jogged my memory. But something that I wanted to know is that we kind of noticed this at the end of spring camp and now seeing it in the camps, it kind of reinforces Johnny Nansen and Chad Kay are kind of becoming an interesting duo. I think they have really good chemistry together and they bring an intensity um, for the D line and, and some of the, the DNs and stuff like that. It's it's really interesting to see them work together. It I think it's a good camaraderie between those two and something to watch for. I don't think I've seen two coaches on USC staff bond in that type of way that I've, I'm seeing Johnny Nansen and, and Chad K work. So it's interesting to watch that development. You know, I think the the relationship between Chris Hawkins and Greg Burns is also interesting. You That's know, a the good way they've too. kind of worked together and kind of split things up at times and then come back together at different times. You know, I think that they've done a really good job. Greg Burns has given him a lot of responsibility to Chris Hawkins. And Chris Hawkins is, yeah. you know, from from what we've seen at the camps and stuff, he's really good at teaching the details and stuff like that. I, you know, we knew that when he was a player. It exactly. was almost like when he was a player, he was a grad assistant, and now he's a grad assistant, and he's kind of a coach. You know, it's a little bit he's a step above. Well, when he was a player, we're like, well, that's a guy that's going to make a good coach yeah, one day. we knew. And, you know, he's he's showing that he has the chops for that. He has the acumen uh, that, you know, is a, is a great addition for the staff, I think. You know, just adding him, especially when you're bringing in a large class of DBs like they are, there's going to be a lot of teaching moments. So having him there and having a second set of eyes, a second teacher, I think is going to be really good for that group because there's just there's no experience with that group at all. Yeah, you know, you, the only guys that have played have played very minimal. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of starts among a, a, a few people, but that's it. So you know, I think that it's going to be a group that may even define USC season. Maybe. I think that that's you could definitely say that. You know, it may define USC season. So having a second coach there that you know is is showing, he's not just he's not being a grad assistant to learn directly from Greg Burns. He's not he's not the student taking notes the way the way that Greg Burns teaches. No, he's teaching himself. Yeah, he's like the safeties coach a little bit when they break off. It's yeah. interesting to see him work with them. Yeah, and he was a safety, and Greg Burns, you know, can coach the D, the the cornerbacks, you know. And you can split them up that way. You can bring them back together and have the whole group. I think it's a unique relationship, and I think it's a, it's a big addition for USC, especially this season when you're bringing in so many new new faces. Yeah, that's a good point. I uh, also would like to know that this is the first time that when I said Gustavo, you didn't repeat it. You've said it in the last two podcasts. <laughs> Gustavo. Now you have, so good job. <laughs> uh, we have a final question from Daniel. And too bad Ryan's not in the studio. He just went out to take a call. But he says, what's up with Ryan? He's been making weird food slash football analogies a lot lately. You know, it all, start- it all started with the live show. What like there were three episodes in a row where he makes some food analogy oh, and then no, it became been like no, you guys haven't noticed his brand and then it became a thing where he was now aware of it so then he purposely does it now even on the Dan Pod he goes you want a food analogy boom and then he just does it it's like his new <laughs> brand thing that he does <laughs> I guess I missed the podcast just to see someone asks a question rank the importance of six games they listed six games of the upcoming 2019 season and ryan not only listed the games but compared them to kitchen utensils it was this whole thing i know the man's got a problem that's what it is sure 
because he's working out all the time now, and so he's just thinking about food constantly. That's what it is. Yeah. I bet you that's what it is. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Ryan's not here to defend himself, so we'll go with that answer. He's just delirious from working out. Or he's just weird. That could be it. Sure, that too. And he doesn't <laughs> listen to this podcast, so he won't hear this. <laughs> he probably does listen to this, so I'm just joking. Um, alrighty, any final thoughts before we wrap up our podcast, Shotgun? No, I, this is the same thing we've said a couple times this off season, but things seem to be going in the right direction. Hey, if you play on, you play and you lose to Fresno State, things will change really quickly. But for now, things are going in the right direction. Once you get on the field and you, you start hitting people, things might change. But so far this off season, USC has done a lot of positive things, and I think they're going in the right direction. Yep. Now, don't take this as like, we think this team is going to be amazing in 2019. Start the wind wagon. When you're in the valley, you can climb up the mountain a pretty good ways, and you're still not all the way up the mountain. Ooh, talk about analogies. Pretty good, Chuckin. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who sent us questions. As a reminder, you can send it to familyfeudpod at gmail.com or tweet at us. That's Chuckin. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week. Peace.